Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. You survived Halloween. Number one Halloween uh, costume this year. That's a bad joke. Uh, You also survived uh, daylight savings time. So let me ask you, how many of you rolled your clock back so that you woke up the same time you ever woke up? You know, they say you get an hour, <laughs> you still wake up same time. But uh, anyway, good to have you guys here. Thankful that you're here. It's important that we come together and as many opportunities as we can and be together. Um, it's a great series we're doing. And uh, Pastor John has talked the last couple of weeks on uh, prodigal stories or not, uh, stories about parables. Today we're going to talk about the prodigal son, but his two messages fill this in really well. A couple weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness. Last week, he talked about compassion. And uh, this week, we're going to do the prodigal son. Jesus told three parables in a row. Lost coin, lost sheep, and the lost son, or the prodigal son. And they all have to do about things that are lost, and God's heart and the passion to see things found and discovered. So that's what the message is going to be good. But I'm going to ask you to do something, okay? Everybody that comes here experiences church differently, all right? Some songs move you in a way. Maybe some part of the service moves you in a way. Maybe part of the message speaks to you. Every week, we believe that God will speak into our lives and help us grow and change, all right? So some people go away and like, that was a boring message and that's fine. Some people feel that. Some people go away and say, that was amazing. I needed to hear that. But throughout this service, you all identify with something that God is doing. This story, we have three main characters. And I want you to think through who you most identify with. And not a bad way or a good way, but just, hey, I can connect with that character. So let's start in Luke chapter 15. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So this first character in the story is the son. He's admitted readily he's a sinner. So let's call him the sinner of the story. What are the characteristics of a sinner? In general, I began to look at that. Here are things I came up with. Sinners are rebellious. Sinners are very self-centered. Sinners always do what they want. Sinners seek pleasure. Anybody here ever been a sinner? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, we're gonna cover you later with the self-righteous son. We've got everybody covered here, all right? I've been a sinner, I've sinned, all right? 
And in a moment, I'm going to read Galatians' definition of what sin looks like, all right? And it's things that I've had in my life, all right? But what drives sinners? What is the hunger? What is the, 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 the energy behind people, all of us who want to sin? And that is just basically, we have these desires in us. We have this flesh desire to do things that feel good. How many would honestly admit sin is fun? You're not sinning right then. Sin is fun. It starts out great, beautiful, fun, crazy, wild, adventures, whatever sin you're in. Sin feels good. All right. It is something that our flesh craves. All right. Galatians defined this in chapter five. It says this, verse 19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Those sound good. It got real quiet. Those sound good. Those are things that our flesh desires. And then it goes into idolatry. Those are things that we worship. Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Good verse to read after Halloween, right? Other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, we all have sin. We all find some of these things creeping up in our life. We flesh pursues those, okay? And so I'm not here to just hammer you on this, but the reality is I grew up in a church that, that all they preached about was sin. Every sermon was about sin or hell, all right? And I grew up with this understanding, this fear of, oh, if I make one mistake, I'm going to hell. I love Jesus. Jesus loved me. But I thought, oh, if I sinned, if I steal a cookie out of the cookie jar, I'm going to hell, all right? I had this fear. We always talked about all these sins and a uh, little Pentecostal church growing up, they, pretty, they were pretty good at, I mean, they really defined Galatians. They, they would tell you what was a lustful pleasure. Lustful pleasures in my church growing up was dancing, all right? And so we couldn't dance, all right? We couldn't go to movies, all right? And, and all of those were sinful pleasures, okay? You couldn't, smoke. You couldn't drink. You're wondering, boy, you had a boring childhood. Uh, uh, you couldn't do any of those things. Okay. But the reality is, is a lot of these sins that they listed are really here, but they would sin as well. We're all sinners. All right. And so it came that, that, that swing of that kind of church, we moved so far away that we don't ever talk about sin. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Folks, the reality is this. Sin is what takes us away from God. God loves you. God cares for you. God has a plan for you. He wants the best for you. And all of the sin that looks good and fun eventually takes you down to a path like this prodigal son of just a bad place. All right? And so we wanted to just talk about what that looks like today. All right? Uh, now, uh, I don't know how many of you have superior humor intelligence, all right, but I'm going to test you, all right, because each service, this has either really bombed or really succeeded, all right? I came up with a dumb, witty statement that I really liked, and some people thought it was really dumb, all right, but they don't have a superior humor intelligence, all right, <laughs> but I want to see if you get this, all right? So here's the prodigal son, 
All right. He runs through his money and while living and he's in a bad place. And it was when he was in pig Donald's that he saw the truth. How many got that? A lot more in the first service got that. Pig Donald's. It it was funny to me. Can't you ever use that again? Not as funny to most people. All right. Here's the reality. Sin is always going to promise way more than it delivers. It starts out interesting, exciting, whatever it is whether it's anger, whether it's whatever, it's just a part of you and you jump into it and a little bit of it in the beginning feels good, but the end of it, it doesn't deliver what it promises. Often we let, when we let sin run its course, it will leave you in a mess. I know for a fact, some of you I know, some of you are my friends, some of you are people that I know your life. You have lived a life of sin and it brought you to a place of some kind of ruin, heartache, brokenness, mess. Sin will always take you there. And the thing that God hates about sin isn't that, ooh, you did a wrong thing. It's that it takes you away from him and away from the good things that he has for you. I got permission to share with my son, my firstborn. He was a prodigal. I think I look back uh, and I really relate to the older son in this story. Um, I, as a young pastor, wanted a perfect home. I wanted to have my kids be the example of a great pastor's kids. And I wanted people to look at me and, oh, look at that dad. Isn't he a great dad? Look at his kids, how well behaved they are, how much they love church and all that stuff. And you can get caught up into image in church and you can get caught up into this. And so Early on, I really tried hard to create this thing and, and probably planted a seed in my son that I didn't realize because there's a little bit of, of religiousness in that. And I don't think anybody really wants religion either, but we tried to create that. And so we grew up and my son experienced God in some very beautiful ways. But as he got older, began to get in his teenage years, began to just move in a path as a prodigal away from these godly things And he had his journey. And so I remember uh, horrible moments as a dad. And I, I, again, I want you to know my son gave me permission. Uh, One of the worst moments when my son is a high schooler, uh, went to a party, got drunk, and I had to go get him. Uh, And and, and, uh, it was, it's it's sort of funny now. (laughs) It's still, there's just sadness with this. But I remember uh, we were going to, there's a store, some of you might remember called Blockbuster. (laughs) Yeah, we rented a video and we're going there. And it's like, God, listen, if you're a kid here today and you're on a path of sin, you're fighting up in uh, uphill. God, just something just said, go check. And I I knew where Jeremiah said he's going to go hang out with his friends. And so something in my heart just said, go, just go check up on him. I, I had no idea, but we go to this friend's house, a big old party's going on, and uh, it, 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 uh, man, kids were just, you know, doing what kids do when they go to big parties, and, and I come to the door, and uh, uh, I knew Jeremiah was there, his car was there, and uh, I knew the kid who was hosting it, his name was Chad, I said, hey, uh, you need to get Jeremiah, and I, 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 I had no idea Jeremiah State at that point, and so anyway, uh, Chad goes, he's not here. I said, let me tell you, Chad, I was a youth pastor. I did know a few tricks. I said, let me tell you what, Chad. 
All right, I can call the police and this party will be shut down in five minutes. Go get Jeremiah. Okay, okay. <laughs> he runs in. All right, so I walk back. I'm standing on the front on the driveway and they had a garage, had windows. You know what I'm saying? Some of your garage doors have windows. Well, I see my son literally come through the garage door and get in a trash can. All right, he was just drunk. I mean, that's just, he was fearful. And yeah, I mean, he had this self-righteous dad. Yeah, it makes sense. And so anyway, eventually get him, take him home. My heart was broken. I spent the night praying, crying. It was a horrible moment. But sin had entered in. It got a seed in his heart. It began down this path, all right? And so he took this journey. And for 10 years, he walked that life and he suffered the consequences of sin. Now, I will tell you as a parent, as a father of a prodigal, I really didn't know what to do. And I really struggled. And I didn't know how to get that thing fixed. And there are things that I tried, I'll tell you in a minute, that did not work and the things that were important. So let's continue this story. So in verse 20, he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. This is the most beautiful thing in scripture. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father called to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Look at this last sentence. So the party began. The opposite of a sin and the end of sin is this passage. It's a different party. It's a different celebration. It's an amazing life-giving celebration. So let's talk about the father. I thought with each of these characters, I wanted one word to identify them. So we have the son, the sinner. But how do you define this father? I thought of all sorts of words and never had one, but I finally settled on this one word. The single word to represent this father is this word, home. Home. Now I know because I'm a part of groups and lives. And I know uh, even from the message of forgiveness that many people, uh, as they shared and talked about in the groups, how much anger and hurt and sadness and frustration and alienation that's come from their home and the difficulty they've had with parents that were not good parents and nothing like this father. And they have this this idea of home being not a good place and the idea of a father being abusive. All those are real. But I've got to point out today, this is a different father. And what, what we really want deep down in our heart is this kind of home. We want to be able to make our mistakes. We want to be able to mess up. We want to be able to just know that wherever we are, whatever we do, there's this place that we can come and the arms are reaching out to hold us and the calf is being getting ready for steaks. All those wonderful things, that's home. It's safe. It's wonderful. It's what God wanted to communicate in this story. Home. What are the characteristics of this father? These are words that I tried to put as the representation, but it was home. But here's the characteristics. He was loving. Love always seeks the best for the other person. He was tenderhearted. He didn't just give a sermon to his kid walking up the driveway. He just made him know he is so glad that he's home. He's patient. 
For years, we don't know, but for the time frame, he was kind and patient. He was filled with grace and mercy. And interesting enough, if you look at this story, he was generous. There's so much here. All right, I was driving to uh, church and the song Good, Good Father came on. If you're familiar with that song, he's a good, good father. And it just really touched my heart. This is the father that is in this story. Now, as we've done these groups and talked about forgiveness and home for some people, I have to tell you, my experiences have been different. There are, there are fathers that I know, fathers that I've met that really I admire. Uh, recently, uh, Cindy's been apart. We, we had a family, an older gentleman uh, attended JFC and uh, he'd been married 60, uh, 68, close to 68 years and his wife passed away. He's close to 90. Sweetest man in the world, all right? His name is Albert. And so we were honored to do the memorial for his wife. And, and Albert, if you understand, if you've been married a long time, uh, you lose somebody that's been such an integral part of your life, the love, and he loved her tenderly. And so what usually happens is people just kind of, uh, he connected with me. I've been there. And so we, we, we've been walking this road together and, and, and I get the privilege of seeing and going visiting Albert every week. And uh, I get to hear stories of, of his love and of his life. And, and I, I mentioned him today because I admire him. All right, he has an amazing mind. He remembers love songs from the 30s that were popular and they're just ingrained and he, he quotes them to me, he even sings them a little. All right, and he talks about his relationship with his wife and I encourage Albert, Albert, you, you still have a purpose. All right, you've lost the love of your life and you probably want to be with her in heaven, but you still have a purpose because you are an example of what a good husband and a good father, his kids, literally several kids, they've surrounded him, they've supported him, they've made sure that he's taken care of and his ailing age and health and they've been there. And I said, Albert, you need, to, you need this. You need people to know what it means to be a great father and the, and, and the payoff with how your kids love you and appreciate you. My own life, my father is, he's just one of the greatest guys. I was raised in a home with a great dad. No father on this earth is perfect, but my dad was a great dad. He did it right. He raised us right. And yes, we were teenagers, uh, and you'll find out I was the good son. I never did anything bad. My brothers, they were the bad ones. They did all the sinning. They did enough sinning for the whole family. Anyway, and so my they're probably not watching, so it's okay. <laughs> um, my dad was amazing, all right? He was just a great dad. And so when we were in these groups talking about how people were struggling with forgiving, they were struggling, and, and I couldn't understand. I said, I'm sorry, I don't relate to that. I don't. My dad was great. He was a great dad, all right? My dad lived out his faith. He was the same dad at home as he was in the business world. He was in the car business. And if you're in the car business, you know that can be a really shady place. He was the most honorable, most integrity. I could respect him. He was involved, supportive. Uh, he wasn't super uh, religious in the sense. My mom, if you know my mom, Donna, uh, their health starting to fail. So they're not able to come. But uh, mom, for when this church started, was the first greeter. She wins the Greeter Hall of Fame, trust me. It's the most warm, anything I learned from greeting, I learned from her. She just loves people and greeted and so all along. And that's the environment I grew up in. And my dad, he wasn't very vocal or preachy, but you knew he loved God and he demonstrated that. And so I grew up with that, all right? I've got to say this because it's a true admiration. Over the years, 
from the moment Pastor John met and married Chris, watched his life. And I've seen the growth and the desire for him to be a true, genuine man of God. And I've seen him be a great father. And I've learned a lot from him because when my son was a prodigal, I felt I, I did it. I messed it up. I did something in my fathering that just really drove him to be that prodigal. And the beauty of this story is that you can be a great dad and your son or your daughter can still be a prodigal. And there are parents here today that your kid is a prodigal. I've had people come up after the service say, thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. My, my son, my daughter, they're living a sinful life. And I don't want that for them. I want the best for them. This is real life that we're living, all right? But I've watched Pastor John model a great parenting and he's been an encouragement and, and, and said, I probably did better than I thought, but we carry this guilt sometimes when our kids are prodigals and that all makes sense. Well, what drives this father? What is his hunger? What is his desire? I think it comes down to these things. He truly has a father's heart for his child. There are great dads here today. You know what that means. You'd do anything for your kids. He has a desire for a relationship that was a higher priority than anything else. So often we dads get all worried about the, the, the things and, 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 and all of that stuff and, and never really realize that the relationship is most important. I remember being a youth pastor years and years ago. Uh, I've had the honor and the privilege of being a full-time pastor for 45 years, amazing opportunities to love people and to share that life. But early on, I remember this because parents with kids that were prodigals and some of these parents weren't good parents, but they would come because they were all about rules. And I remember this statement, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. That's good for someone to hear today. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. You may want to raise your kids in church. You may want them to do good. And your heart and desire might be right. You don't want them to involve in sin and pay the consequence. But really, it's all about the relationship. Here's some really neat stuff about this story. He was willing to let his son go if the son didn't want to be there. That's important. Hard letting go. There came to a point where I just had to realize Jeremiah's got to take his road. He's got to do his thing. And second, he was willing to let his son suffer that his son would gain a right perspective. The sad thing about prodigals is sometimes they have to end up in the pigs. Sometimes. And as a parent, that hurts. But let me just tell you, the same way that in the earthly measure you feel this, God feels on a heavenly measure. When you take the life of sin, when you move down that to see your hurting and suffering and needless, unneedless pain is something that drives God. So he gave his son a choice. Now, here's the reality. Look at, and I learned this. You can try and force someone to make a good choice, but it doesn't work. You're going to have to go to church, kid. You're going to have to go to church. All right, now listen, if they're three, they're going to have to go to church. <laughs> but when they're 17, honestly, there comes a point where you can't force them. So me being the self-righteous dad, spiritual, religious guy, I figured I'm going to solve all my son's prodigal problems. I'm going to send him to Bible college. <laughs> you know how that worked? Let's say uh, he got kicked out. I spent some money. Wasted it, you know, and it, it took him then on his road to being a prodigal. Now, I'm so 
I'm so grateful for what God has done. Because after the years of prodigal, my son experienced a very traumatic, painful fruit of sin. And it was in that pig slop of life where he realized, I want to change. We cried together. He shared his story. He shared what happened. And it put him then on the path to home. I'm so proud of my son. I got great kids. He was the prodigal. And I've watched him since then. He found the most beautiful, wonderful wife. They each had two sons and they brought their family together, blended. He had a son, she had a son, and they have this beautiful daughter, Lily. And he's striving. He's here today. And so I share that and I want to read something. And please know, if, if you really knew my heart, you would see that there's no self purpose in reading this, but to illustrate a point. A few weeks ago, I turned 66 years old. Oh, that's old. <laughs> Remember when you were about 30 and you thought 60 was old? 60's not old. <laughs> like now it's 90's old. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was gone the weekend of my birthday, and so uh, the following week at service, he brought a card, and um, I was out, and I couldn't read it. But later on, I went down, and I, I opened it up, and I read it. And uh, I'll have to tell you, it just, I want to read something he wrote. And before I read it, I have to tell you, there is absolutely no way I feel worthy of his words. Dad, I agreed with that part. <laughs> you are an amazing father. I am so glad God chose you to be mine. Every day, I appreciate all that you taught me. Most important, the love of our Heavenly Father. I hope my kids, my sons, my son and girl can be as proud of me as I am of you. Play the violin, Hallmark moment, I mean, all that kind of stuff. Now, what does that mean? Why did I read that? Well, first of all, I'm just touched and proud to share that the reality is, is you might feel as a failure as a parent or even as a Christian, but God is at work in ways that you don't even know. And I felt horrible as a father, and Satan, boy, he's really good at just heaping on that lies. And I was just really, but why was I a bad father, okay? What were the things that I dealt with? What were my issues? And we're gonna cover them now, picking up the story. Meanwhile, the older son, ooh, ooh, me, me, <laughs> was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother's back, he's told. Your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. 
But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. There it is. I'm so glad that the parable Jesus taught included this part of the story because I really can relate to that older brother. Let's call him the word self-righteous. Self-righteous. I asked you earlier to think where you best fit. I have to admit, that's where I best fit. I was the kid that grew up in church. I didn't do wrong things. All right? I didn't sin. I didn't go to dances. Woohoo. Bad sins. <laughs> I, and I began to see myself. I'm a pretty good dude. Look at, all, look at my brothers. They're sinners out there. Look at all the mess they're making. Look at the heart they're causing my parents. And I got this pride in my heart. And I started living this life of just this self-righteous, nasty thing. Well, the characteristic of a self-righteous, they really think they're better than everyone because they're doing all the right things. Does that make sense? They do the right thing. So they feel, I'm better than these other people that are doing the wrong things. They are judgmental. They follow rules and in doing the right thing, feel that that is why they're better. They're resentful because when sinners come home or sinners get grace or sinners get mercy, it doesn't make them very happy. Isn't that sad? They're blind to grace and love. People should pay for their wrong choices. If you are a self-righteous like that, and I'm, I'm confessing that's where I've been. You really are miserable. <laughs> because all around you every day are sinners. And all around you are sinners that God loves and welcomes home. And it just drives you crazy that they're getting away with all that sin and getting love when they should be getting judgment. That's how we feel sometimes. Well, what drives a self-righteous person? Here I think the motivations. These are the, his hungers and, and, and desires. He was selfish. He was selfish. He didn't even see his father's joy in somebody that could have been dead coming home. He was just thinking about himself. And he felt, I'm owed something. All right? Here he squandered it. Here he made a mess of it. Here I've done right. You owe me, Dad. He felt like he was owed justice. He felt like he deserved something because he did right things. And in the Bible times, his position as being firstborn, uh, the tradition is that you had rights greater than other children, all right? And so there's a part of his pride that says, I like being the good son, the older son. He was upset about possessions. He was talking about this fattened calf. And hey, the truth is he might have raised that calf. He might have been at one at work fattening that calf and all of a sudden, you know, we're having ribeye. 
And I don't know, it's not in scripture, but I think there's a part of him just knowing a self-righteous person that he thought now, what's dad going to do? Take some of my inheritance money and give it to him because he has nothing? I'm guessing. Well, here's where it comes down for us. Beautiful parable, amazing story, very practical for our lives. But here's where we come into this picture. Like these two sons, we go through life desiring, hungry for something. We do our best, whether you're a religious, self-righteous person or a sinful pleasure person, you try to do it all on your own to fill that hunger and that need. And we are all living life here searching for something. Pleasure, position, possessions. And we all end up very unhappy because we are not finding that to be satisfying. Well, here's the truth. The most beautiful part of this message. Pleasure, position, possession. Guess what? The Father has all of those things in him. And maybe you didn't realize that. Maybe you didn't know that. There's such great pleasure in the love of God. There's such great position being a child of God. There's such great possession in knowing that he is your provider. He is the source for your life. We settle in this world for such poor, poor substitutes. Now, those that know me, I'm a foodie. My friend Pat's here. We go to Los Dos every week eat chips and salsa and Mexican food, and it's a regular event. But a lot of you, we've gone out to meals or had meals. I like food. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, okay, listen, there's so many facets to this story that you could pull out, but this year I'm reading this, getting ready, and I saw something I never saw. But it's true, okay, I just had never seen it. Hunger is so involved in this story. Food is so involved. It's hunger that moves the prodigal to come home. Eating pig slop, he realized home is better. Home is better. The father decided to do a feast of a celebration at the return of his son. The self-righteous son was jealous over the barbecue being served to a kid that didn't deserve it. Food is a big part. What is that hunger that you have? How are you fulfilling that? One last statement. The prodigal came to the place where he said, I'm willing to be a servant. That is so much better than what I'm living now. I'm willing to be a servant. Please miss this. Please don't miss this. This is for us. The beauty of the, the phrasing of Jesus' story here is this. The father never, ever saw him coming home as a servant. He always saw him as his son. Always saw him as his son. You might be alienated from God today. You might have gone and lived a life of sin. You might be in a place where you're hurting and you don't know what to do. And you might feel I'm not worth coming back to God because I don't deserve God. But the father sees you coming and it's a celebration now here's the beauty about the father you read this story if I was the dad my self-righteousness 
would have had a different response. But here's what this father did. He didn't make him pay anything back. You freely come. You just be here. That's all that matters to me. Now, if I was that dad, I would say, look, here's how it goes. You really, you really messed up. You blew your inheritance. All right, so here's the deal. I'll let you be my son, but you still got to go out there and work with the servants for a couple years. You need to pay me a little of that back. This is, you've lost our reputation as a family. You've, we need to get some back. Oh, you, you can't pay God. There's nothing you can owe him. He's freely given to you. The older brother, okay, this hurts. Believe it or not, even though he did the right things, he's just as lost as the sinner. He's just as lost. He missed the whole point of relationship. He just didn't recognize that he had a need as well. So what do you do with that? I don't know where you're at today. I want to read Proverbs. This is true. It says in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 12, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. So whether you're religious and self-righteous and you've lived a life of doing everything right, but you know deep down, you know deep down, there's just something missing. Or you've lived a life of sin and you're tired, all right? Hey, all of those end up in death, but the Father in heaven welcomes you today. He wants to love you. He wants to restore you. He wants you to experience everything that he has for you. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? As I was preparing this, I was praying and worshiping one morning. And I, I, I really do believe it was a picture God gave me. And I, I saw that there was this flock of sheep and there was a particular sheep that began to eat the grass that was nearby. And his head was down eating, his eyes were focused on the food. And he began to just eat and follow the grass further and further away from the flock. And he began to just eat himself to the place where he was isolated, alone, and in danger. I really felt like the Lord gave that for this message. And so the truth is this, the truth is this. What does a good shepherd do? The parable before this, he went and found the lost sheep. He brought him back into safety. And some of you have been just eating your way away from the flock. The father, the great shepherd wants you to return, to be a part of the safety and the security, to move you away from isolation and danger. So whether you're live stream or here live, let the shepherd bring you home. Amen. Lord, 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 Lord. Amen. Lord, I, I truly come to you before these wonderful people today. Thank you for changing my self-righteous heart. Thank you for using my own son to see how a father loves. Thank you for these things that I've experienced to show the futility of self-righteous religious living. Thank you that the father could show me that I could be loved, not by what I do, but by his love for me. 
that I could see and know that sinful people can come home. And it's a celebration. So Lord, I pray for these wonderful people today, for the sinners that need to come home. Let them know, let them know in their heart, not just in their mind, that they are welcome, that your arms are wide, that the feast of heaven is ready to begin when they return. And let the self-righteous know, the religious know, to let go of all of this doing stuff and just enjoy love and life and purpose in the Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.